0: This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, kids with disabilities and the bullying they face.
1: Children with disabilities, I believe the statistic is they're maybe twice as often as other students are going to encounter bullying.
0: Preventing bullying disabilities when Radio Health Journal returns. Do you know CPR?
2: More than 350,000 Americans a year suffer an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and 90% of them die, often because bystanders don't know CPR. Hands-only CPR, without mouth-to-mouth breaths, is easy to learn and can double or triple the chances of survival. College student Matt Lickenbrock learned it at a CPR training airport kiosk.
3: Two days later on campus, another student was hit by lightning virtually in front of me. I was thinking, what did I learn at the airport? First, call 911 then push hard and fast in the center of the chest to the beat of staying alive.
2: You never know when you can save a life. The American Heart Association and the Anthem Foundation sponsor airport kiosks where you can learn hands-only CPR. You'll find kiosks at six major airports across the country or take one minute and learn this life-saving skill online during CPR and AED Awareness Week, June 1st through 7th. Go to heart.org slash hands-only CPR. That's heart.org slash hands-only CPR.
0: Marge and Jack's son, Ben, is entering middle school next year, and they're concerned. Ben has a severe learning disability, and his parents know that kids with disabilities get picked on and bullied more than other kids. Experts like Barb Zimke say Marge and Jack have reason to worry. Zimke is senior advocate and parent trainer at the Pacer Center in Minneapolis, which houses the National No Bullying Prevention Center.
1: What we know about children with disabilities, I believe the statistic is, you know, they're maybe twice as often as other students are going to encounter bullying. Individuals with especially developmental and intellectual disabilities historically have had more violence committed against them even. And individuals with different kinds of disabilities have always been more vulnerable in many ways, emotionally, socially, physically, just because of the challenges of either a physical disability, an intellectual disability, a disability that perhaps does not allow the individual to read nonverbal behavior or to respond in ways that might actually kind of aggravate situations unknowingly.
0: Zimke says bullying behavior can take place. "'at any age, but as most grown-ups know "'and may have lived through themselves,' There's an increase starting in middle school.
1: That's a big concern going into middle school for lots of different reasons, but kids are changing hormonally. The school structure has changed in most cases, and there's a lot more hallway time, non-structured, less supervised time within that middle school environment for the first time for most of these students who have been in a grade school environment where they had one homeroom teacher and kind of a cohesive group of students that by and large get to know each other. In middle school, when you start to change to having multiple classes within one day, you expand the number of students and you lessen the structure and supervision for it. That's when there seems to be more opportunities for bullying as well as students in general, that developmental stage where they're kind of testing their own power and looking for their own power. Students would choose to bully generally for power and
4: control. They're looking to have power over another person and to be able to control their behavior or their actions. So it's not an issue of a low self-esteem for a child who's bullying others. They really are seeking ways to gain power and control over others.
0: That's Jan Urbanski, director of Safe and Humane Schools at Clemson University's Institute on Family and Neighborhood Life, which is also the home of the Olvaeus Bullying Prevention Program.
4: There are now law- in all 50 states regarding bullying and although they're different in all states most of them require that there be a policy in the school districts what's in those policies and what each state's required to do varies And even within the states, obviously what schools are doing will vary from school to school. So there are a lot of schools that are doing a lot of things to address bullying. Unfortunately, some schools will choose to do things that maybe are not best practice in bullying prevention. There's been a lot of research that shows what works in bullying prevention. So schools that actually include all of those components in a comprehensive program will see much better results than, for instance, schools that might just decide to have an assembly once a year to talk about it.
0: For parents of a disabled child, Zimke says it's a good strategy to assume that he or she will be bullied in middle school. So it makes sense to take the bully by the horn, so to speak. For starters, Zimke suggests meeting with your child's Individualized Education Program, or IEP, team the year before entering middle school.
1: Together, put into the child's individual plan some supports some strategies and maybe a goal or two for the child to work on a skill that will make them less likely to be bullied and to know what to do when bullying occurs also putting into place some ways for that student to get to know the school and the people in the school, particularly some adults that they can connect with right away that they feel safe and connected to. So introducing them before school starts to the school, to a few key people, maybe a guidance counselor and the special ed teacher and even an administrative person that meets them one-on-one.
0: Zimke says the Pacer Center also offers parents what she calls a student snapshot template to distribute to school staff.
1: The one pager with a photo of the child that tells what they like, what their strengths are, but then their main challenges and the best way to address them and kind of what their goals are for the year and it's a quick and easy way to give that to every adult that's going to interact with this child in this school before school starts to put them on the radar so that a lot of people are watching out for and also demonstrating appropriate inclusion because when inclusion is happening on a real level it really minimizes the opportunities for inappropriate or bullying behavior to take place because there's lots of people and they're all watching and they all care.
0: Then in the fall, Zimke says teachers can plan student activities that center around things such as...
1: Recognizing but valuing differences why inclusion so important, setting up some friendship groups for 6th graders that include the students with disabilities. There's also a program that our bullying Prevention Center makes available to schools to actually have a peer mentor advocate kind of relationship program. Students who have other students around them are far less likely to get bullied than students who are somewhat isolated within a school.
0: Kids who are younger seem to be less judgmental. Zimke says that often kindergartners or first graders with disabilities are open to talking about their disability in front of the class or even okay with a letter going home to all their classmates' parents explaining about the disability.
1: But depending on the disability and the child, as they get older, that might not be appropriate. So in middle school, for instance, even my own son, who has an intellectual disability, is quite aware if the class is all talking about him and his disability. So finding a way to do it in a really appropriate way that respects the dignity of the individual student is kind of the tricky part, and I have seen it done well.
0: Zimke tells the story of one middle school student who successfully pulled off this approach.
1: A student with Asperger's that I was aware of actually prepared their own little PowerPoint about autism and Asperger's syndrome and did a little presentation as part of one of their projects where all the students in the 6th grade or 7th, I can't remember what year it was, were telling some things about themselves and presented that. And this person felt very comfortable doing that, and it was quite powerful. He was able to say what his strengths were and have photos of those things that he's really good at and also talk realistically about how it might impact him at school. That's kind of a very unique kind of kid, maybe, though, who can get up in front of a class and do that. So I think it just depends on the child. It depends on the disability.
0: Doing a presentation in front of the class can certainly be too intimidating for a lot of kids. So Zimke says teachers can create small peer groups to draw other students into the role of champion for the child with disabilities.
1: For all the students in the school, but for students with disabilities, it's the most crucial time to provide more support around peer advocates, Getting other students on board to know all of the students when you know someone, it's a whole different situation than feeling isolated because you're not really known or included. Schools
4: should also recognize that you know, not necessarily waiting for a problem to happen, but prior to that, to really be teaching students how to advocate on behalf of someone else, how to be a bystander, giving them the knowledge and skills about bullying and what to do in that situation, and how to stand up for somebody. So a lot of preventive work could happen so that doesn't occur.
0: Urbanski says having a plan for what to do when bullying does occur can also be very helpful. She gives an example of a student who's being bullied asking other friends to sit with her at lunch to make the whole day easier.
4: It's going to be very hard for her to learn or concentrate on her math lesson if she was worried that no one was going to sit with her at lunch. So things like that can be very helpful when having a plan in place. And that is one of the things that's recommended as well for a student who is a victim of bullying to develop a safety plan of sorts that would really just outline specific strategies and steps and people they can talk to if things happen.
0: Urbanski says it's also important for parents not to blame anyone when bullying occurs, including themselves.
4: If a problem does arise, really encouraging parents to take the problem seriously, but resisting the tendency to blame themselves, to blame the school, to blame other children. Communicating with their child is important, but keeping the focus of the discussion on the behavior, not the individual, that's kind of avoiding the label of calling a child a bully. In fact, with our Olveus Bullying Prevention Program, we don't typically use the word bully or victim because we want to avoid labeling students. We would use terms such as the student who bullies or the student who was bullied. Ask about the school's bullying prevention policy, what's written in there. Good idea to be well informed about what the state law says about what schools have to do for bullying prevention.
0: However, both Zimke and Urbanski agree that no matter what the school's policy is, parents need to be involved at every level.
4: Absolutely, parents need to be part of the prevention and intervention solutions. When parents are involved in their child's education, they're much more likely to be successful, and particularly with students with disabilities. Parents can be a great advocate that can be a huge protective factor for them. So given that some students with disabilities have significant communication barriers, they may not be able to report bullying or they may not recognize that what's happening to them is bullying. So parents need to be informed. They need to be part of it. They need to be supporting the school's prevention efforts. Schools need to be informing parents. So absolutely they have a role in it. Kids don't want their parents to get involved, but parents need to get involved anyway. Because it really ultimately is an adult responsibility to make sure their child is safe, the children at school are safe. So parents need to get involved even if their child says don't.
0: For many of us who grew up in years past, bullying was a painful rite of passage. Today it's still a problem and a public health issue, but at least now there are laws protecting children from bullying.
1: What the individuals with disabilities need to know most of all is that they're not alone. We get calls, emails, texts. We'll talk with the individuals themselves and help people create action plans for how to address it. I guess I'd like to leave with saying there's hope. We see lots of situations where a student has been bullied or it's been the bullier which can be turned around through adults kind of grouping together, coming up with a plan. There can be really good outcomes. So I just I want to leave people with hope and to let them know they're not alone and there's help out there and to reach out for help.
0: If your child is entering middle school next fall, now is the time to educate yourself about bullying policies in your school district. You can learn more about our guests, Barb Zimke and Jan Urbanski, about PACER's National No Bullying Prevention Center and the Olvaeus Bullying Prevention Program through links on our website at RadioHealthJournal.net. Our writer-producer this week is Polly Hansen. I'm Reed Pence.
1: Radio Health
4: Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment.
5: When it comes to health insurance, understanding what you'll pay for covered services, prescriptions, and supplies is important, especially if you have a chronic condition like diabetes. Now, there's a new tool to help people with diabetes save money on test strips. Know My Copay is a website and nationwide telephone service that tells you the lowest copays for the top five brands of diabetes test strips in the market based on your individual health plan. Here's consumer advocate and nationally syndicated columnist Jim Miller. Figuring out health coverage
3: can be confusing. No My Copay is a valuable free service that can help people maximize their health care dollar by comparing the out-of-pocket cost of the various diabetes test strips available. People can make educated decisions about the products they use.
5: No My Copay is sponsored by LifeScan, maker of OneTouch brand blood glucose monitoring systems. Find the lowest copay for your test strips at nomycopay.com or by calling toll-free 1-844- 807-8936. That's com.
3: Medical Notes this week. Teen births are at their lowest level ever. A report from the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that the teen birth rate has fallen by 60% overall since the early 1990s and by 50% among Hispanic and black teenagers since 2006. Researchers say long-acting contraceptives and better sex education get much of the credit, but that teenagers are also having less sex. New infections of HIV are on the decline, but the nation is still falling short of its goal. A report in the journal AIDS and Behavior shows that annual HIV infections dropped by 11% between 2010 and 2015, and the virus transmission rate declined 17%. Those declines are only about half of what the nation was aiming for, according to the National HIV-AIDS Strategy announced in 2010. About 1.2 million Americans are living with HIV in the United States. And finally, 17-year cicadas are out in parts of the East Coast, and scientists say stress levels rise with those noise levels. In fact, some scientists say cicadas can literally be deafening. They've recorded cicadas' noise levels at more than 108 decibels, noisier than a jet during takeoff. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment.
5: June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. The Alzheimer's Association is encouraging everyone to learn the truth about Alzheimer's. First, Alzheimer's is not normal aging, and with a wide variety of possible symptoms, it's more than just memory loss. The truth is that Alzheimer's disease is fatal, and even though it can't be prevented, cured, or even slowed... Early detection matters. According to Ruth Drew, Director of Family and Information Services of the Alzheimer's Association,
4: an early diagnosis of Alzheimer's allows people living with the disease and their families more time to plan for the future. It also allows these individuals to get the most out of treatments that may address symptoms and help maintain independence longer. They may also be able to participate in a clinical trial to help researchers discover a cure. It's important for people living with Alzheimer's to access care and services early. So, they and their families can live the best life possible.
5: Take time to learn the truth about Alzheimer's disease. Get started at ALZ.org truths. That's ALZ.org
0: truths. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.